Well, indeed, it is good to be back with you all. We, uh, my family and I, uh, did the grueling <clears throat> multi-day drive up the West Coast. We uh, survived two days up with four children and two days back with four children, and uh, we're but we're glad to be here. I had the privilege of preaching at my grandmother's memorial service while we were up there, and it was a wonderful time to reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness to her in her 87 years of life, and uh, to, in a sense, it was, had a real sense of, of picking up the baton uh, from, as uh, my grandfather had passed uh, when I was a young boy, and uh, now my grandmother uh, passing, and but by God's grace, I was able to fly up and see her just a few days before she passed, and so uh, praising the Lord for that opportunity, uh, just to be able to sing with her, to pray with her, and uh, to know that we will meet again one day. But we are, uh, I'm excited to be back here with you as we think about this new year, 2021. 2020 was unexpected in so many ways. We knew the year was coming. We knew the time would tick by. We just didn't know what would fill those minutes, those hours, and those months. And already 2021 has proved to be somewhat unpredictable as well. It has uh, brought events that we, maybe we sensed might happen, but we weren't quite sure exactly what would take place, and there is still yet uncertainty as we face the days before us. And as has already been alluded this morning, this week has been somewhat tumultuous, to say the least. Uh, Particularly politically, there are things going on around our country that we've never seen before, and people on all sides are concerned, and rightly so. These days are indeed troublesome. And yet in the midst of all the tumult, Christians need to be asking, what should we do? What should our response be? What should the church be about in these days? What should occupy our time, our resources, our energies? Today I was going to preach a message that was going to answer these sorts of questions, and we will return to them. But as I reflected upon the priorities of God's people in these days, I was compelled to go a different direction with our time this morning. And so I, really this message is really just uh, sharing what is on my heart as I think about us as a church and where we need to go deeper in this year. And so let me begin by asking a question. Before anything else, what marks the people of God? What defines them? In other words, in any time, in any era of the church, what is the basic impulse and defining characteristic of God's people? I would argue that it has been the church's faith and resulting prayer that has marked the people of God. 
Because you see, as God's people, we trust in him. We have faith for people who trust, who believe. And because we believe and trust God, we go to him in prayer. And again, this has defined God's people in every age. We believe God, we trust him, and so then we pray to him. We call out to him. It's because of the faith of God's people that they drop to their knees and cry out to him. Whether in triumph or in distress, God's people prays. When circumstances are painful or troubling or ominous, God's people turn to the Almighty for help, for direction, and for comfort. This is the basic impulse of God's people in every age. And this must be our impulse today in 2021, to go to God in prayer. Whatever your feelings or thoughts you have here at the start of this new year, prayer is your necessary first response. Are you angered by recent events? You must pray. Are you worried about the future? You must pray. Are you excited about this new year? About what it holds and you're launching into it with gusto? You must pray as well. Prayer must be our soul's first and regular impulse. But this morning, I don't want to just talk about private prayer, although that is extremely vital. I want to address this morning the topic of corporate prayer, the church praying together. I firmly believe that the strength and health of the church is seen in how it prays together. This is not to say that everything else is unimportant. Indeed, there is much to which we must pay careful attention and to which we must obey as laid out in the Word of God. But how we pray together shows how well we are depending on the Lord in the midst of all those other things. We can obey and we can fill our time with many things that God has called us to do, much ministry. We praise God for that and for all the ministry that takes place around here. And yet, if we're not praying together, then there's a real danger that we are doing all of that ministry in the flesh. That we are not trusting in our God to work in and through us. That we're not asking Him to glorify His name. We're not asking Him to empower our feeble efforts. But we think that it's just going to happen. And we implicitly trust that because we're doing the right things, like a formula on the other side will outpop results, blessing, or success. But friends, the scriptures are clear that we can not just do certain things and expect them to happen just because we've done the, the right actions. Ministry is not a formula. We do everything and take every step in absolute humble dependence 
upon the Almighty who can do as he pleases. He is under no obligation to do anything other than what he's promised in his word. And so we go to our knees and cry out, asking that God would work according to his promises in his word. If we as a church are going to remain strong in 2021 and in the years ahead, we are going to need to stand united. And if we're going to stand united spiritually in this evil day, then we must seek God's face together. We cannot be a a bunch of isolated individuals who are simply living our Christian lives independently and isolated from one another. We are a community that bonds together. And so what I want to do with our time here this morning is to show you the value of praying with other Christians. That praying with the body, praying with even just one other Christian, but praying also as a church altogether is what we need. And my prayer is that here in 2021, that we would grow in our desire for, in our commitment to, and our practice of praying together. And so just organizing my thoughts this morning around a few headings, the first of which is the special privilege of praying together. The special privilege of praying together. It is sweet to spend time in secret private prayer. And last year in January, we took a week to look at each of the core values, and I preached a sermon on prayer, and we talked about the importance of private prayer. We need to commune each day with the Lord privately. Each one of us need to do business with God. We need to put other people aside. We need to get face-to-face with the Almighty ourselves and to, and to reckon with our souls and where we stand with the Almighty. It's vitally important. But there is something special about praying with God's saints. With coming together and lifting up our prayers together in the name of Christ and praying in concert with one another. And people began to do this very early on. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. They realized they needed God, and they began to pray to Him and call out to Him. This is the priority, again, as I said, of God's people in every age. Psalm chapter 105, Psalm 105 Verse 4 says to seek the Lord and his strength. And get this, seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. What does this mean? Isn't God always with us? Isn't his presence always here? Well, yes. His presence is always here. There is no part of this universe in which God is absent. In fact, Even in hell, God exists as his wrath is poured out. But it's one thing to know that he's here, 
in a truth propositional sort of way. It's another thing to sense his presence and to address him in prayer with the sobriety and the seriousness with which we would address the Almighty. And thus, the psalmist says, seek his presence continually. Seek to be aware of his presence. Seek to live within his presence with humility, with dependence. Seek to know him above all else. Seek the Lord in his strength and don't seek it anywhere else. I ask you, do you want to know God deeper this year? Do you want to know him in a more profound way than you've ever known him before? Do you really want to seek his face and seek his presence? Do you want to grow closer to him? We must draw near to God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a wonderful promise, friends. God says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In the power of the gospel, we can go to God and know that he's not going to spurn us and turn us away. We know that we come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and therefore we are accepted in the presence of God because we have a great high priest who's gone into the presence carrying his own blood as a sacrifice on our behalf. And so we can draw near to him and not be afraid of his wrath because his wrath was satisfied at the cross of Christ. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now I need to say that this kind of prayer that we're talking about is not just a prayer as sometimes you'll see today. Even now here in the new year, you look at recommended reads, recommended listens, an audible or whatnot, you'll see all these books about all sorts of different sort of spiritual practices. You'll see books on mindfulness and on meditation and different eating and, and exercise and, and different things of the sort. The prayer that we're talking about here is not just a general mindfulness. It's not just positive thinking. This is prayer that addresses a person. This is prayer that recognizes who this God is. This is the Lord, Yahweh, the Mighty One who made heaven and earth, made each one of us, and to whom we must give an account. This is the God that we address. And we must come before Him soberly, not flippantly. Friends, we have a tremendous privilege to draw near to God to address God Almighty. But how often do we do it? How easily do we avoid it? How easily does this idea of, 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 of taking advantage of this tremendous privilege seem like a drearysome task to us? I pray that we would be among the generation that seeks the face of the God of Jacob, as Psalm 24 says. That we could say that at Foothill Bible Church, we seek the Lord here. We get to our knees and we ask God would do great and mighty things in our lives and the lives of others and in this world. And we trust him to do it. We have the faith to believe. Friends, we must seek him 
together. You see, there's increased privilege and increased power when God's people pray together. It's a, it's a spe- special privilege to seek God unitedly. We approach him in the name of Christ together. In fact, think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. Notice that it starts our Father. There's a plurality. There's a recognition that there's more than just one. Together we address God as our Father. And we can't ever lose sight of this wonderful privilege that you and I can bow together and together we can say our Father. We share the Father in heaven. It's a special privilege to be able to selflessly pray for one another. Corporate prayer in the church is an amazing, humbling, and sacrificial thing. As we gather together and we begin to pray for each other, when I let go of my own needs, in fact, I hand my burdens to you, and you take them and you carry them for me and with me, and you offer them to the Lord, and I take your burdens as you gently lay them to me, and I care for them, and I offer them to God on your behalf. And the church gets to display this selfless love for one another as we care for each other, as we put our own needs aside and we seek to care for one another as we pray for each other. That sort of dynamic and to be able to hear other people pray for you is something that can only happen in corporate prayer. To know that this brother or sister is not just talking about you, not just saying nice things about you, as much as we like that. This is a brother or sister bringing your deepest heartfelt burdens and concerns and cares before the one who cares the most and the one who is most powerful to act. We take them to God because he is almighty. And as we pray with one another, we learn from each other. Parents, you're teaching your children how to pray every time you close your eyes and bow your heads. Your children are learning from you. And so we learn in the body of Christ how to pray as we pray for each other. How many times have you prayed with people in your small group or a friend and you've heard an expression or you've heard a verse brought into that prayer? They go, wow, that's a powerful way to pray. I want to begin praying that way. I know I'll never forget my grandmother who I just uh, said goodbye to last uh, month or so ago. She always started her prayers, our loving Father. I'll never forget that. Taught me to remember and to realize that our Father is a loving Father. And that is why we can approach him. We learn how to pray by listening to one another. We encourage each other and exhort one another. As we pray to Almighty, our faith is strengthened, is it not? As we hear of someone's faith pleading with God and banging on the doors of heaven that God would act, we go, we, we're in one sense convicted that we are not praying with that same fervency and that same strength of faith. And we go, I want to pray that way. I want to, to plead in that, with that sort of strength. And so we build each other up as we pray together differently than if we all just prayed individually. 
Friends, there's a special privilege in praying together, and we cannot forget it. And it happens as we gather. It happens as we communicate, and we bow our heads corporately. I secondly want to show you the, this morning the scriptural example of praying together. The scriptural example of praying together. Now, we could spend time going through the whole Bible and looking at all corporate prayers in the Bible, but we would be here for many weeks doing that. I want us to focus our attention on the book of Acts. And, and so I would invite you to open up your personal copy of God's Word to the book of Acts. We're going to do a fly through this book showing you corporate prayer in this book. Acts written by Luke, who we, are, we have been studying here on Sunday mornings, his gospel. This is his second work. He continued to write to his friend Theophilus. First, he talked about what Jesus began to do, and secondly, he wrote what Christ continued to do through his church. And so in the book of Acts, we get the portrait of the early Christians, what characterized the early church? How did they live? And we must remember that they lived somewhat as, as Luke reminded us earlier, that they lived in a time of great upheaval and change, a time of great persecution. And yet, we see that this church was not broken apart by all of that intense upheaval, but they were brought together and they were brought to their knees. Look just in chapter 1. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. And then it says, verse 12, And they returned to Jerusalem. This is the disciples, the apostles, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What did the church do? The first impulse, when Jesus went up to heaven and they were left alone, they dropped to their knees. And with one accord, they began seeking the face of God, seeking his guidance and his wisdom. And they were united. It says with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. They encouraged one another to continue to pray. Well, we see that this is continued to be a feature of the early church. Look to chapter 2. After Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, when thousands were converted... Verse 42, chapter 2, says, And they, being the early church, the first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, or to prayer. We see that of the four things that, that Luke pulls out as what characterized this early church, prayer was a key cornerstone, that they were a praying church. Yes, they studied the teaching. Yes, they fellowshiped and, and loved one another 
Yes, they celebrated uh, the Lord's table, communion, as I believe the breaking of bread here is a reference to. But they also prayed. They were calling out to God together. Look, just, I just want you to notice the first verse of chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Peter and John going together to pray in the temple. No doubt, potentially to meet other Christians there as well. There was corporate prayer going on. Look in chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested. They go before the council. And then they are released In verse 23, chapter 4, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, look what they did. What was their impulse? They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And look at this, verse 29. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Talk about prayer and an answer to prayer, right? They pray for boldness and God gives it to them. And there's the confirming signs and wonders that took place in those early days. But we see here the impulse of the early church. The persecution gets heightened, and they drop to their knees and cry out to God together, praying that God would strengthen them and give them boldness. They needed to pray that together. They needed to be gathered. I think it's clear that they were already meeting together when Peter and John were released because they went back to a gathering where they already were. And they began to pray. Same, a similar thing in chapter 12. Look at Acts chapter 12. And again, a context of persecution and of prayer. Chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who had belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So look at this, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church saw the danger, saw all that was going on, and realized they were powerless to do anything in getting Peter out of prison. And so 
they gathered for earnest prayer. Who knows how many hours they spent seeking to continue to support one another. They'd be pleading and asking that God would work to release Peter. And so they pray and they pray and they pray some more. Now, we don't have time to look into this whole miracle, but the chapter describes how Peter is released miraculously from prison and he's able to, uh, to walk out and then look at, uh, look at verse 12. When he realized this, that he had been set free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The prayer meeting's still going on. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Again, we see the church in the midst of persecution. And this wasn't just threats of persecution. They had lost a dear brother by the sword. Herod had killed John, or James, rather, the brother of John, with the sword. And now Peter's arrested. The right on the wall is clear. Peter's going to be executed soon. And so they go with hearts in anguish to in prayer. But not only in the midst of persecution are they praying, we see that the significant aspects of the church, they go to prayer. Look in chapter 13. Verses 1 through 3. And there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, the church resorted to prayer in the midst of choosing its leaders, recognizing the importance of seeking God's face, of seeking his guidance for the future of the church. How should we be led, Lord? Who do you want to be led? In this case, who do you want to send out? Who do you want to go to spread the gospel far and wide? And so they prayed and they fasted. The same is true in chapter 6 when the church was in need of those to minister uh, bread to the, the Hellenistic widows who were neglected. They set apart men and they prayed over them. And in chapter 14, the next chapter over, verse 23, a similar kind of prayer over leadership is seen as, as they're setting up uh, churches. 14, verse 23 it says, nope, I was in the wrong chapter, 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, you're seeing the church gather together and pray, asking for God to work, for God to lead, for God to guide. Chapter 16, verse 16. We see that as they're in Philippi, they were going to the place of prayer. And this is where they, they, uh, 
They met Lydia, but they're already on a way to pray. They're on a, going to a place of prayer to pray. Then they get uh, mixed up and get arrested. And it says, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. They're in prison, and they're doing corporate prayer. They're praying together. They're singing together as they strengthen each other, as they remind each other of the Almighty God whom they serve and who's watching over them. They're standing strong as they pray together. Or we think of chapter 20, verse 36. Chapter 20 is this opening up of the heart of Paul as he's leaving the Ephesian elders for the last time. And he's got such a burden that the church there in Ephesus would remain strong. And so he pours out his soul, encouraging them to shepherd the flock, to, to give them the whole counsel of God, to be faithful to their task, to guard against wolves that would rise up within the flock. And so he, he pours out his soul to them. And then verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that, he would not see, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Their hearts are so bound up with one another. They're so united and focused on what God has called them to do that their hearts are bound together and, and, and so the, the relationship is strong and so they're, they're aching at the thought of being separated from one another. And so do they... Do they weep over the separation? Yes. But notice they go to prayer. They kneel down and they pray. And finally, just in our survey here of Acts, I want to show you in chapter 21, the next chapter. They have the missionary group has landed at Tyre, and it says in verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us all until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. We find our deepest and cherished moments as the body of Christ together in prayer. We have those parting moments of saying goodbye, recognizing that we're committing ourselves to the Lord who's watching over us. That's what they understood, and that was their impulse to go together and to pray and to unite their hearts. And so can you see, just from this brief survey of the book of Acts, how the church was devoted, not just to individual private prayer, although there's much instruction in the scriptures to that. Jesus, remember, saying to go into your closet to pray, don't pray out in open to, uh, to just receive the praise of men. And so there's definitely a case for, for going privately before the Lord and calling out to the Father. But here we see that that spills over into corporate prayer as the church is united in the mission of God to see the gospel go forward and to see our lives transformed and see the church built up, we drop to our knees and we pray. So we've seen the, the, the special privilege, the scriptural example. Let's look thirdly at the spiritual benefits of praying together, some of which we've already mentioned. The spiritual benefits of praying together. And the first 
I believe, is that it helps us to keep a spiritual edge. We want to be sharp spiritually. And we need to be a church that is not dulled by the things of this world, that is not dulled in our concern for the Lord, that is not dulled in our, in our concern for the mission of God that the gospel would go forward, that we would remain sharp of what he's called us to do and how we're to live before him, that we would have a, a spiritual sensitivity to the Lord, not so consumed and so entranced with the things of this world around us that we have no thought and no care to the Lord and to what his desire for us is. Paul had this concern in 1 Thessalonians. I invite you to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And he uses the, the contrast of being awake or falling asleep, of having our senses awake and vibrant and alive or having them dulled, having driven uh, thousands of miles in the last couple weeks uh, and for those who have done long road trips, you know the sense of having dulled perception when the drowsiness kicks in and things start getting hazy around you and your wife looks over you and says, are you okay, honey? Um, and then the feeling when you have that uh, coffee and it awakens your senses and you go, boom, I'm ready to go. You, the sense you are, you are fully awake, fully aware, and you are are fully aware of all that's going on around you. Paul speaks in those terms spiritually. 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Friends, in light of the end of days, in light of the fact that the day of the Lord, judgment is coming. We are to live a certain way. We are to live sober and awake, spiritually sensitive to all that is going on in our lives, in our church, in the lives of others, and in the lives of the people around us. We are to be like soldiers who are fully dressed for battle, ready for the threat at any moment, looking and alert on sentry duty, not the soldiers who have taken off their army and have engage in debauchery, and thus their senses are dulled and unaware and unprepared. And friends, if we are going to stay spiritually sharp in this day, we must gather together and plead that God would open our hearts, that God would keep us from being dulled and lulled into thinking that everything's okay, to thinking that this is our home, to thinking that we belong here, rather to realize that we must be battling sin in our lives 
We must be on the lookout for ways that we are no longer sober, that we are getting drunk spiritually. We must help one another to stay awake. And we do that through corporate prayer. A second benefit of praying together is that it reminds us that our success depends on God alone. Our success depends on God alone, and we need to be reminded of it. The Psalm 127, verse 1, a well-known verse. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And we could fill that in with a thousand other things. Unless the Lord builds the ministry, those who minister, minister in vain. All of our action, all of our ministry, all that we seek to do for the Lord is in vain unless the Lord is in it. There will not be success in the flesh. There is only success in the Lord. And so we depend on him and we cry out to him and we plead with him, oh God, please bless these efforts. Please enable me to, to disciple my children well. Enable me to witness to, to my coworkers. Help me to live faithful to fight sin in my life. Friends, these things do not happen in the flesh. It is spiritual and thus we need spiritual help. We as a church will not succeed. We will not flourish. We will not grow as a church unless the Lord does it. It's God who provides the growth. And so we ask that God would please give it. And so we gather together to plead that the God of the harvest would produce a great harvest in and through us. The third spiritual benefit is it helps to break through our cynicism. The benefit of corporate prayer, praying together, is it helps to break through our cynicism. You see, one of the dangers in this secular age is to begin to believe that prayer doesn't do anything. Are we just talking to the ceiling? Are, are, are we just saying things out loud? We look insane. We're not talking to, to anyone or to anything. It's like we're just talking to ourselves. That's the temptation of a secular age is to think that prayer doesn't do much or anything at all. And yet, prayer is exactly what God has commanded us to do. And Jesus has exhorted us to remain faithful and to persevere in prayer. In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He encouraged the disciples to always to pray and not to lose heart, or that, that could be translated to not grow weary. Have you grown weary in prayer at times? I know I have. You're praying, you're praying, and then you just kind of want to go, blah, 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 blah. Is this doing anything, Lord? And yet, that's where we need to be hearing the prayers of the fellow saints and remind us, and we hear their faith, we're encouraging our own faith and say, yes, God does command us to pray. We need to be about this. Not just in a half-hearted way, but in a serious, pleading sort of way as if our lives depended upon it, sort of prayer with fervor, with passion. We must be people that persevere. At the end of that parable, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Is there going to be anyone that's going to believe the promises of God and be actually praying and persevering in prayer? And I pray that God would grant us to be among those who are faithful, that believe his word, believe his promises, and go to our knees in prayer. Praying 
together also helps us, fourthly, to grow our love for the church. We hear the needs of each other and we grow in our love for each other. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Our bonds of love grow tighter as, we, as we're on our knees praying together, recognizing the burdens and the pains that each other has. Not just in a passing sort of way to hear about it, but to, but to take up each other's cause and say, brother, I will pray for you right now. And you go before God Almighty, the one who is able to do any and everything and to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think and to cry out to him on behalf of your brother or sister and say, God, please work on their behalf. What a privilege. And how much does that cement in our souls, our love for that person? And finally, the fifth spiritual benefit is it will unite you with others around God's purposes. Around God's purposes. Oftentimes our prayers are spent on things that are okay to pray for, but the priority is often in the wrong place. In fact, I was heard it, it was uh, pointed out to me recently in a, in a sermon I was listening to that the Lord's Prayer, to only 20% of it re refers to physical needs. The other 80% of it refers to spiritual needs. 20% physical, 80% spiritual. And the simple question is, does that ratio line up with our prayers? Are we, or do we most pray for all the physical things, all the things going on in our lives, which again, are not bad to pray for, but there's gotta be a priority. And as we gather to pray and we recognize, what does the Bible call us to pray for? Then we're reminded of God's purposes and, and the priorities that are on his heart that we need to be pleading and asking him for. And so as we pray, we unite with others around God's purposes. And so, finally this morning, I, lastly, I just want us to look at the specific practice of praying together. The specific practice. We looked at the special privilege, the scriptural example, the spiritual benefits, and finally the specific practice of praying together. Folks, we have many opportunities to do this. Start in your own home. Do you pray together as a family? Do you pray together as husband and wife? Two Christians coming together, praying for one another, lifting up each other before the throne of God. It's a privilege. Are you taking advantage of that privilege? Are you praying with your children, for your children? You're praying within your homes. Our praying together, our corporate prayer begins there. If we want our children to be those who, who have a heart and hunger and understand what it means to pray together as a church, let's train them in these early years about what corporate prayer is. Let's not think that they have to wait till they get older to understand corporate prayer. Teach them to to chime in, to offer their own prayers on behalf of the family or somebody else in the family. Let's not just be those who pray before meals. Let's pray for the, let's be the families that pray to the Lord because it's a privilege. We pray together corporately in corporate worship. And I thank my brother Art for his prayer this morning that just led us before the throne and helped bring these concerns before us. Maybe you need to reevaluate how you participate in these corporate prayers that we have in our worship service. This is not meant to be you just listening and, and, and watching somebody pray. When somebody prays up front, it's meant to be participatory. How do you follow along? How is your mind engaged, saying, uh, confirming and saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, as those requests are being made? Amen. Uh, 
word that simply means agreeing with what's been said. And saying, yes, Lord, I, I want that for me. I want that for my family. Are you praying in an active way in the corporate worship service? This is one of the ways we corporately pray together. How is the prayer in your small groups? Is it just something you tack on the front and the end? Or is it something that you really spend time laboring in prayer together? It's in my experience that we sometimes have a hard time as Christians actually praying together. We run out of words. Some of us are not comfortable speaking out loud our prayers. And I would just encourage you, based upon everything we've looked at this morning, to seek to grow in that. To seek to step out of your comfort zone. And even if it's a short and small prayer, that you begin to voice your prayers corporately with others because others are blessed by your prayers. Maybe it's choosing a verse out of the Psalms and that's all you pray. Lord, thank you that you are our shepherd and that we have all that we need because of you. Taking a verse and simply praying it and be done, but learning to vocalize corporately with others. Don't be ashamed to pray in the presence of other Christians. I think this is one of the things we need to break through to not, not be uh, afraid of, of voicing our prayers to God with one another. Sometimes there's going to be the awkward silence in the group, right? You're all waiting for someone to pray and you're wondering who's going to start and then one person prays and then you're kind of waiting for everybody else. Let that awkwardness hang there and let that urge you, impress you and say, I want to pray. Let the privilege and the awesomeness of what we're doing drive you to prayer. And don't be hampered and hindered by what people might think of you. The gospel drive you to pray together. We need to be more fervent and labor more in our small group prayer. We can pray more one-on-one, -on -one, out on the patio, on the phone. We're talking with fellow believers. Don't just say, I'm going to pray for you, but pray for them in that moment. Maybe you've experienced that. It's a powerful thing. Can I pray for you right now? And to go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you can go help lead somebody else to prayer in that moment. Take advantage of those opportunities. Maybe there's a prayer partner, someone you can get together each week to pray for each other and for each other's families and for the church and for any number of things. Maybe you can get on the phone and pray. My grandma in her latter years would do that all the time. She had so many people she'd get on the phone with and would just pray with them over the phone. And note that a prayer partner is not a chatting partner. It's a prayer partner. So yes, there can be some sharing, understandably, but make sure you don't crowd out prayer, which is easy to do. And finally, what is a specific practice for us. This year, we are setting aside the last Sunday of each month during the nine o'clock hour for a prayer meeting. We will uh, still have the children's ministry uh, going on, but for the adult training hour, the classes will pause, and we are going to, for the last Sunday of every month through 2021, we're going to gather together to pray together. And, uh, you know, prayer meetings have fallen on hard times. Just the, the name prayer meeting Maybe you conjure up images from your childhood or past experiences of, of uh, being awakened at the end of the prayer meeting because you just <laughs> were so bored and fell asleep. I read of one pastor that uh, was leading a prayer meeting and somebody walked in and, went and uh, thought it was a Bible study. And when they found out it was a prayer meeting, they turned and left um, because they didn't want to be there for the prayer meeting. They only wanted to come for a Bible study. Um, I think it just illustrates how many of us have an aversion to even the concept of a prayer meeting. And yet, God has used believers gathering for prayer through every age of the church. All of the great revivals through church history began when believers were willing to discipline themselves through the hard work of gathering together and to pray and to lift up God's concerns before the Lord. 
And friends, I believe we as a church need to recapture this together, to learn how to pray together. Prayer meetings are not just for the great prayer warriors who are strong and mighty and can do it all on their own. No, we, we gather together because we recognize we're all weak. We all are weak in the gospel. We need to learn how to grow together in prayer. And so I invite you on the last Sunday of the month, 9 a.m., to be able to gather together with us to pray. We need to seek God's face together. We need to offer up our prayers together, and we can do it as we set aside this time at the last Sunday of each month. Well, I pray that you have been encouraged to seek the Lord this year and to do it with others, to gather friends together to pray, to, at the end of a time of, of fellowship, to say, hey, can we just pray before we're done? To go together in prayer. Well, as we finish out our time this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And so I invite you to take out your elements as we wrap up our time here. As we come to the Lord's table, in light of everything we've just looked at about corporate prayer, I want us to reflect on two realities. The first is access. Access. What enables us to have the audacity to go into the presence of a holy, righteous God? How dare we? It's because of Jesus, friends. It's because of the gospel. It's only because he shed his blood for us that God's wrath was satisfied. So now his wrath does not stand against us because he poured it out on his son. So now we can stand before God Almighty and call him our Father. We have a great high priest, the book of Hebrews argues. A great high priest who is also the lamb who was slaughtered on our behalf. And he went into heaven with his own blood. A once-for-all sacrifice. So that we can now draw near the throne of grace not with fear and trepidation, worried that we're going to be scorned because of our unrighteousness, which we all have, but we can draw near with confidence, with a smile and with boldness because of Jesus. We're dressed in his robes, in his righteousness. And we stand before God and we say, in the name of Jesus, your son, that's why we end prayers in Jesus' name, because we recognize we stand in him. It's only in Christ that we have access to the Father. We are made legitimate sons through the great son. We have been adopted through Christ. Let me just say this morning that if you are here and you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, you do not have this access. You must go to Jesus to have that peace and confidence before God. There is no peace with God until you go to Christ. There is no promise of future rest in his presence unless you embrace Jesus today and trust in him. Believing in his righteousness is your only hope, not in your goodness, not in any sort of good that you have done, 
Because all of that, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. We must trust in Jesus alone, confessing and admitting that we have nothing. We have no goodness. We are unrighteous. But trusting in him today, repenting of your sin today, crying out in, in, in the privacy of your own heart and saying, God, save me, for I am a sinner. I trust in Jesus and his sacrifice was in my place. And you can go home a forgiven sinner today. Today. It is only through Jesus that we have access to the Father. But the second reality I want to draw us attention to as we come to the Lord's table is unity. All of us are drawing near to the same Father. And as they say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is none of us more important or better than the other. We all come from all walks of life, and yet we have unity through Jesus. Jesus' cross has made peace so that there is no division, there is no animosity, there is no hostility within the bride of Christ because we are all brought together through Jesus, through his blood that was shed, through his body that was broken. And so we celebrate the cross this morning that we can together come before Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that uh, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take that bread together. Now, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take that cup together. And now let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is indeed a privilege for us to address you this morning. And we come recognizing, Lord, that we have not prayed as we should, that we trust ourselves too much, we depend upon the flesh. Father, we find priorities that are different from what you have expressed in your word. We recognize, Lord, that we are weak prayers. We do not pray as we should. And so we ask that you would please teach us to pray. Help us to pray and not to lose heart, to persevere, to have faith, that we would not pray half-heartedly, that we would not just kind of throw some petitions up to you, but God, may, may these concerns sit deep upon our hearts. Make us even more so a praying church. May we see your hand work in our lives, in our church, in our families, and in our nation, O oh God. Bring a revival, bring an awareness of your presence, 
that people far and wide would seek your face continually. Oh God, we ask that you would do it for your name's sake, that you would receive the glory. And it's in Jesus' righteous name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you are dismissed. Have a great week.